0: Extra credit. This short-form podcast will hit your feeds every week, opposite the main Hey YA show, and the focus is on a separate Norma Klein book in each episode. Klein was an early YA writer doing work similar to that of Judy Bloom in the 1970s and 1980s that pushed boundaries and dove into topics so few others were approaching at the time. I'm your host, Kelly Jensen. You can get a complete schedule of books to be discussed in the show notes, and this week is a really special episode. Um, This week's book is Breaking Up, and I have a very special guest joining me today. Welcome, Tom Ryan.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is really quite exciting. I listen to Hey YA uh, regularly, and I've also been keeping up with the uh, Norma Klein special issues, uh, special edition, so it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about um your work and then also your connection to norma klein and maybe why this particular book was one that you wanted to talk about
1: sure yeah i'd be happy to so i'm i've been writing ya since 2012 and i am canadian and my until this year most of my stuff has been released uh primarily to the canadian audience and uh my first american release just came out in may it's called keep this to yourself and it's a queer young adult thriller And and, um, I have uh, a couple of books coming out next year as well, one that I co-wrote with my friend Robin Stevenson, and then another thriller that comes out uh, next fall from Albert Whitman. And, you know, I I saw you put the call out on Twitter for YA authors who had read Norma Klein when they Mm -hmm. were younger. And I really jumped at the. (laughs) I think I messaged (laughs) you within 10 seconds of you putting that (laughs) on, on Twitter. Because I grew up in uh, small town Canada, in a very small town in Nova Scotia. And we had no public library, but we did have a really great uh, school librarian who did, you know, like uh, as with a lot of small town libraries, she did a lot with a very small budget. Mm-hmm. And I remember very clearly, she was actually from from New York, which was kind of exotic to me growing up in Cape in <laughs> Breton. And she was always handing me stuff. And she knew that I read at a, a, an older level than. Perhaps the books uh, uh, that were being marketed to my age, and she directed me towards Judy Bloom early, and mm-hmm. I think judy bloom i don't know if you'd agree with me on this, uh, but her stuff norma Klein's stuff seems to be a little bit more mature at least yeah, with regards to sure. a lot of titles, and mm-hmm. at some point i I just started grabbing. Norma Klein off the shelf because the Judy Bloom was gone. And I was one of those voracious readers who read literally every, you name it. And the Norma Klein books, I, I read probably three or four of them. That was probably what was available to me. And I can't remember specifically which titles I read other than the, my mom, the Wolfman and me, which I I know I read. And I'm pretty sure I also read breaking up. And what jumped out at me about breaking up was that there's a very uh, clear and quite positive queer relationship um, for the Mm -hmm. time and that to me as a very closeted um, queer young teenager in a small town at that time there wasn't a whole lot of of uh, lgbtq content in books for young readers and the norma klein stuff was you know old at that point it was dated and so to find a you know a very relatively positive portrayal of a, a lesbian domestic relationship was completely unbelievable to me at the time. So I was keen to talk to you about her generally but this book in in particular.
0: Yeah, and when you had mentioned that I um I I've been reading the books in order so I didn't read this one ahead of the other ones I read and I was getting a little nervous. I read some of the particularly the last two I read which I just was not super keen on and yep. thought that like as much as they were progressive they were also super challenged in some ways and so I was like oh no are we gonna read this and suddenly like all the memories of this being a positive queer relationship like have to be questioned but fortunately they don't have to be um this was actually kind of a refreshing read after the last couple
1: yeah Um, totally and I didn't I listened to your podcast and I I had the best of intentions I was going to read along but to be honest I've moved cities and I've been doing a lot of mm -hmm. uh, book travel recently so I really only had time for this one and I was listening to your podcast and some of the stuff was you know there a lot of problematic things going on and I was kind of scared to pick it up because I had this vague positive memory of this book um Mm -hmm. but yeah I think we were you know we've discussed briefly online but I think we were both you know pleasantly surprised
0: yeah um I'll read the description rather than going into the Kirkus review because funny enough the Kirkus review is pretty much exactly what the other ones were that Mm -hmm. this is another one of those like soapy teenage dramas and and it is but at the same time like it really delves into a lot of issues that teens were facing at that point that teens are still facing now. Um, you know, and it's just done with the sort of like flair that I think is really appealing to yeah. readers, particularly those who might not otherwise want to pick up a book that is, you know, packed with issues. Like it's the opposite of an issue book. Um, so the, so the back reads, uh, a rose in bloom, that's in quote. Um, that was what people called her. And it wasn't just because her name was Allison, Allie for short, Rose. She couldn't help the way her looks were changing or even the way her feelings were changing, but she wished that some things would stay the same. The summer that Allie and her brother Martin left their mother in New York to visit their father in California brought joy and pain. For Allie, it was a time of impossible decisions, of breaking up and getting together, of loss and love. But when her father decided to keep her from returning to her mother and her best friend couldn't stand to see her falling in love, Ellie had to find a way to please everyone at once and still be true to the woman she was becoming. That sounds like it's so dramatic.
1: So dramatic.
0: (laughs) And the book is not that dramatic. No,
1: the Rose and Bloom thing, especially, it's like, oh my God, roll my eyes. But uh, yeah,
0: yeah, it's like. It's, it's funny thinking about Allie's main character compared to the other one. She is maybe like the least, um, I don't want to say risque, but like daring character. She's much more reserved and um, not as quick to like want to jump in bed with any g-
1: right.
0: <laughs> any guy she meets, which is, um, it, it makes that whole nickname and that whole like the dramatic flair of the description kind of funny when you read the book. You're like, no, she's really not like she's not like some of the other characters in um Klein's books
1: um No, she was really I found I really liked the character of Allie. I thought she was uh very thoughtful and not you didn't get the impression that she was this kind of there's this stereotype of the 70s teenagers in 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 retro YA where they're very precocious and you know wise mm-hmm. beyond their years. She was really she fit her age very well. I I felt like she had a lot of naivete but she was also trying to tackle some you know really big adult issues and and uh circumstances and she she spent a lot of time thinking about other people's feelings whether it was Gretchen or her brother or both of her parents um and i i really liked her i thought she was a great character
0: yeah i did too um one thing that was interesting um is i thought that she was the kind of character who she she was very very thoughtful but other people's feelings almost to the point where she seemed like she needed a lot of validation to make any decisions on her own Mm -hmm. because she was so conscious of how it would impact everybody else. I had put a note um, near the end of chapter 14 that she's a bit of an approval junkie. Like she really needs um, validation from others and like their approval that it's going to be okay that she um, makes decisions and does things on her own. which is really interesting because that's not how other people in the story necessarily um, behave or act.
1: No, and they take – I mean, especially when it comes to her father. I know we both have a lot to say about her dad, but <sighs> he really takes advantage of that in a really series of awful ways. And I think somebody actually called – I don't know if it's Teddy, the boy, the kind of on-again, off-again boyfriend, but somebody says to her, you know, you're you're letting other people push you around. You just kind of lean into mm-hmm. whatever. And I thought that was pretty uh, – It was great to have that pointed out explicitly to her because you get the sense that by the end of the book, she's starting to do a bit of soul searching about, you know, how she reacts and responds to other people's influences.
0: Yeah. Um, man, I know I marked that because I was, I was impressed that somebody like said it to her bluntly, um, I guess we should we should talk about the the family situation going on here. Um, Man, I could talk like hours on this because it was so infuriating. Um, So Allie's parents are divorced and she had she and her brother lived with their mom and dad when they were married in California. And then when the parents break up, her mother moves to New York City because she's gotten a job at one of the museums. She's a curator. And um, interestingly, this was the first Klein book and all the ones I read that wasn't set primarily in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously New York city plays a role in it. And so Allie and her brother are living with their mother um, during the school year in New York city. And then during the summer, they're going back to her father's place in California. And now he is um, remarried to another woman who I guess is kind of, what's the best description for her. She's sort of, um, she weirdly sort of like Allie in terms of like always wanting that approval yep. and um, sort of bending to the will of her father um her husband the new wife's husband that is yeah and and you um, know what's
1: funny about that is her name eileen i think it's eileen yeah yeah yeah. She, she so one thing i found kind of strange about the book and i might have just missed it but throughout the first two thirds three quarters you get the impression that she's just kind of this i don't know uneducated isn't the right word, but she's really allows herself to be dominated by the the husband's views. Like there are points Mm -hmm. when she says your dad's a lawyer and he knows best and he knows so much more about this stuff than we do. But then you find out at a certain point that she's actually like a a child psychiatrist. She's a very educated, presumably quite intelligent person. Um, But when it comes to her, her domestic life, it's just she's fallen into this sort of old fashioned role of letting the the man of the house just take charge. And she does assert herself a bit towards the end, which I, I appreciate it.
0: And it's interesting to think about that in terms of like that relationship being very sort of based and portrayed in sexist roles. So, you know, he he knows best and and she sort of um, maintains his allows him to maintain this status and power in the relationship. And then you have um, Ellie's mother who is in a relationship with another woman and how different that relationship and partnership is both in terms of like, how, um, how we see the dynamics between the two of them, but also in how it <laughs> reflects sort of the exact opposite of what her father and um, Eileen have in terms of a relationship. And I thought that that was, it was really smartly done.
1: Oh, it was great. And they're, they're, they're really, sh- so I think it's her mama Cynthia and her mom's uh, partner is Peggy and Peggy, every, you every mean- time you see them together there uh, or hear about them on the page they're they seem to have the perfect relationship they respect one another mm-hmm. they help one another out um, and yeah you know like you say as opposed to the the dad and Eileen it's just a completely different it's a day and night scenario and the funny thing is at the end I mean I'm probably jumping ahead a bit here but the the, the crux of the, the you know the big conflict comes from when the dad finds out that uh, Allie's mom is in a relationship with a woman, he decides that it's not a great environment for her to be in. So there becomes this kind of custody struggle for lack of a better term. And honestly, the the irony there is that she, clearly the better home environment is with Peggy and, and uh, mm-hmm. Cynthia. So it was so great to read that relationship. And r- right through the end, I was kind of, cringing, hoping that the other shoe wouldn't drop. But right up till the yeah. end, that, that relationship just stayed clear and wonderful and positive.
0: Yeah. And um, I actually have it open to where her dad is is doing this. So, so the thing about her dad is her dad is this very domineering father knows best sort of character. And he is working really hard and manipulating Allie to think that living with him would be the best. Like that would be ideal. And that's because of this, like thinking that growing up in a homosexual, you know, partnership, a home where that is like the norm and that it's healthy would be really bad for her. The um, passage I've got is on 87 and it says, Ellie, you're somehow willfully missing the point. You're old enough to realize that raising children in a household with two homosexual women isn't exactly some kind of ideal. You're so emotional, honey. You know you are. What kind of feelings about men are you going to pick up living there? That's what concerns me. What kind of image will Martin have to base himself on? It's one thing to have no father. How about two women who have decided to reject men absolutely? I feel like this passage captures everything about her father that is just awful. (laughs) He gaslights like none other. And, um, you know in addition to the fact that he is just you know homophobic beyond words he is downright mean and and the way that he manipulates his own daughter into wanting into um, rejecting her mom as well as peggy and like rejecting this whole life that has been established in new york that by all all we're given sounds super healthy and encouraging and wonderful um, particularly for a child of divorce, you know, yeah. like it could go so wrong. Like I, am a child of divorce and I have a father who, um, did the same thing. My father was super manipulative and, um, his step, his wife was worse than he was. But, um, yeah, um, as I'm reading this, like I'm cringing cause it's like, it took me right back to being, I was younger than Allie, but, um, to, to being that kid who's like, well, I do love my dad, like he's my dad, but at the same time, I love my mom and my home environment with my mom is much better, even though it's not traditional. Um, You feel stuck in this place. like You do want to make people feel happy because you, you love them both, but then you have this adult who is trying to manipulate you to see the other half of your family is wrong or, um, not ideal or is potentially harmful toward you. And, um, every time her father did that, I was just like, I wanted to scream. I wanted to choke him. Yeah. I wanted to Um, throw
1: martini (laughs) in his face. He was just so toxic. I mean, at one point he, uh, he, it it kind of escalated quickly because it, it it started with, he catches this rumor that pet, mom and peggy hang out and sometimes mom sleeps over at peggy's and it, it very quickly goes from him suspecting something clearly based on his past knowledge of of Allie's mom he knew that she had you know was probably um gay to some to some degree mm-hmm. uh but it goes from him suspecting that something's going on to you can't even talk to her on the phone or write her a letter and there's that horrible scene where Allie gets the phone call um, the phone rings when she 's home alone, and it 's her mom and even though mm-hmm. there 's nobody around to stop her, she feels so pressured by her father that she basically freaks out, shoves <laughs> the phone receiver in the drawer and runs outside <laughs> crying it, it yeah. was just it was just wild. The dad was just such a jerk i couldn't couldn 't believe it.
0: There's another line on 116. Uh, of course, Daddy leaned forward intently. Oh man, you can just feel him like leering in and it's just like cringeworthy feeling that. Um, you see, Cynthia's decision to take you two so far away was very, very irresponsible. I don't like to say this to you, but in many ways she is not responsible. I should have prevented it. I should have insisted you both stay here with me. I really think this will be good for Cynthia. Let her realize how painful that move was for me. She never even thought of that. She'll accept it. She doesn't have to like it. She has to take responsibility for her actions or her lifestyle or whatever you want to call it. Like, oh, really? Yeah, gross. You know, like, so gross. And, and it's like the way he manages to say it—that this is going to be good for her mother—that her mother should suffer. As like punishment for living her life, I guess. Um, just oh Yeah. Every it's, everything I wrote in the margins is like her dad is awful, awful,
1: and it's also everything is clearly about him. He he does he makes a big show of saying that he's concerned about Allie and Martin's well being, but he really just wants to win a point. And you know he's mm-hmm. he's just creepy in all sorts of ways. There's there's a scene closer to the beginning of the book where. I think Allie and her dad and Eileen are out for dinner and Allie is wearing sort of a low cut shirt and the waiter keeps stopping and staring oh, yeah. down her shirt. And Eileen, you know, kind of bristles at this rightfully and because she's 15 and, and it's gross regardless. And the dad just kind mm. of laughs it off and says, Oh, you know, it's just totally natural and normal for, I mean, it's his daughter. It's so, it's so gross. I, I yeah. really couldn't stand this character. He was terrible.
0: Oh. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Like, I haven't felt this way about many characters in Klein's books, but like, uh, she nailed just like this gross <laughs> character. Toxic,
1: patronizing, paternalistic jerk.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about, or we haven't talked about yet, um, one of the other big threads in the story is between, Allie and her best friend slash former best friend Gretchen. And um, so Gretchen has a brother and Gretchen and her brother are pretty close. They're a year apart in age, I believe. And Allie, when she comes back to California for the summer, is really excited to hang out with Gretchen. But she has this whole thing where she's like, I am jealous of Gretchen's relationship with her brother and how close they are. Because me and my brother Martin, who are the same age difference don't have that sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. And then pages later, <laughs> suddenly Allie has a crush on her, you know, on And Gretchen's brother and um they're starting a relationship.
1: Yeah, and that throws every her relationship with Gretchen kind of off the off the tracks as well, which becomes Kind of becomes this main secondary plot, I'd say, and mm-hmm. uh, I found it was really interesting. I liked, I kind of liked the way that Gretchen reacted to it. It, sem- it felt really authentic to me because you know when you're in that, you're a teen, especially when you're a younger teen, fourteen, fifteen, and you're still kind of figuring out your your emotions and your relationships and sometimes something that would seem small from the outside becomes a really big deal so it might not seem like such a huge thing that uh Allie and Ethan end up sort of hooking up and becoming interested mm-hmm. in one another but clearly to Gretchen that's the most Im- they're the two most important people in her life they haven't had a great home life and she's Gretchen has leaned on both Allie and Ethan and when they go off and create their own pairing it feels I think it feels to Gretchen as if the whole underpinnings of her any stability in her her world have been kind of ripped away from her and i I like that I was really sympathetic to Gretchen's uh situation and I like the way that it, it ended up kind of open-ended I think that there's room for them to continue to be friends afterwards but it's not quite the same as it was before
0: yeah i I really appreciated it too and something that I was like I was fascinated with and sort of felt really captured Allie as a character. Uh, she's younger and like she talks a lot about her body and how her body is developing. And um, she's really coming into this relationship with her body and what it means to have a female body in a society that, you know, puts a certain value on that. And then she also uses it to her advantage at the same time, which is like such a teen thing thing you know um she makes this big to-do about needing to go buy a bikini to wear uh to Gretchen's because Gretchen is a pool and she picks this like Super sexy black bikini that um, her stepmom's like. Is that really the one you want? You know, yeah. like trying very gently to convince her to get something that covered up a little bit more and get the one with um, the strawberries
1: on it. <laughs> that, yeah, that crack me up.
0: And Gretchen's <laughs> like, it's not sophisticated enough. Yeah, you exactly. Know? <laughs> And and so she then, like, she's excited. She's got this bikini. She goes over to Gretchen's house. Gretchen happens not to be there. <laughs> and so she can, like, debut her body in this bikini with Ethan there. And and that turns into a whole thing. That's actually the cover of the book, um, which we were talking about before we got on the call to record. And how hilarious the book cover is. <laughs> Is. yeah it's
1: awesome I love it so much I love those re- retro vintage illustrated covers they just get to me completely and it co- it's not and, completely representative it's definitely skewed but it yeah. is, it's pretty funny
0: <laughs> the cover she Ali's wearing the black bikini and looking at it I'm like this is not like <laughs> this is not a risque bikini at all no. this is a pretty pretty standard and I would think even pretty standard for this I think this one was published in 1980, 1980. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's just it's funny. Like it, it's funny to me how the cover and then the the um, jacket copy represent the book in a very different way. Yeah, <laughs> and it's almost like real.
1: they they wanted it to. I, they were probably trying to market it as almost like a, a Harlequin for teens or something mm-hmm. like that. It has that look. It's a it's it's got the the rose in bloom is in giant letters on the back, as if that's really.
0: And that only comes up a couple times in the story, that nickname.
1: Oh, it's from, from, and I think she says right at the start, she says people are always saying something about that, but then she's on the plane on the flight to California. (laughs) When I still, this is something I wanted to talk to you about because first of all, she ends up sitting next to this guy who you assume he's going to end up being a real creep. And I think there's, you know, subtextually he probably is because he asked for her number Mm -hmm. so that, it's just this middle-aged guy who sits next to her on the plane and she strikes up a chat with him and she tells him basically her whole life story. <laughs> and, and then for some, I mean, God knows why, but she takes a playgirl onto the plane with her. Yes. And, <laughs> which... <laughs> Totally blew my mind because she's. She said she bought. I think she bought seventeen to high because it makes her feel less awkward yes. when she's buying. Yes. When she's buying Playgirl, which is like a regular thing, she tends to either buy like seventeen or maybe I'll buy mints or something so that they don't really focus on the Playgirl. Yeah,
0: i got the passage here because it was so good. So I underlined good. it. Uh, Um, then I, then something awful happened. I had two magazines on my lap and they slipped to the floor. Mr. Peterson picked them up and glanced at the covers. They were two magazines I bought before we got on the airplane, 17 and Playgirl. I always, (laughs) I always buy 17 when I buy Playgirl because I feel sleazy just buying Playgirl or I buy gum or lifesavers or something to make it look like I just happen to be buying Playgirl, maybe for my mother or something. (laughs) Every time Martin sees me looking at the centerfolds in Playgirl, he says something sarcastic like, are you going to pin them to your wall? Mom says ignore him. She says it's perfectly healthy and normal for a girl my age to be interested in what men look like without their clothes. Oh, Oh, man. Where did we get? (laughs) (laughs) And then then just a a couple paragraphs later, Mr. Peterson leafed through the magazines before handing it back to me it's a new phenomenon i suppose he said what oh girls like you or barbara buying magazines like this
1: poor barbara (laughs) and
0: then she goes on to say i don't buy it that often just sometimes they have good articles
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so much creepiness and i think i don't know i think Klein does a good job of you know putting her teen. i mean i should i in this particular book anyway that the teen girl as you say who is you know her body's developing and she's becoming aware of the the both the drawbacks of that and the the potential Mm -hmm. there and then she comes up against these like the waiter in the restaurant and the 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 old guy on the plane she's always um she's often finding herself in these positions with men where she has to kind of react in an appropriate way for her age and uh anyway that scene was really crazy and i
0: i love this i didn't mean to cut you no. off there um i found i found the perfect quote to kind of illustrate what you were just saying she says i know i have a good figure is it my fault if dumb men like to stare at my breasts? That's their problem. <laughs> it's like that just so perfectly captures that, like 100%. Yeah, tension. Yeah. Um, I, I had this. Speaking of that plane scene, I I mark this and I put lol in the comments because in the comments in the um uh, margin because it was so funny. It was the kind of plane where you just walk on and don't have to go outside. <sighs> And I kept thinking to myself, what was that feel like? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. I'm
1: getting on a plane tomorrow morning, and I wish it was that simple. <laughs>
0: right? It's like some of the things that date the book are things like that and not the plot or, like, the the takes on some of the big social issues. But instead, like, you could just walk on the plane. I wonder what that's like. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've never experienced that. Yep. Um, yeah, I I was really pleasantly surprised. Um and and I went in sort of being skeptical <laughs> um, and a little nervous that it was going to turn out not that great. Um, and instead, I feel like this one is a really good one. I would recommend this one to other readers, particularly those who are dealing with manipulative parents, which I think is fairly common, especially in um, less than... Healthy divorce situation. Oh, I think
1: it's super common, and I I think what I really appreciated about this book when I walk away from it is how she didn't. I think that ni- 1980 was clearly a very different time, especially if you were uh, mm-hmm. you know a, a, from a marginalized background in any any way. And I think when it comes to the the queer representation here, it was just such a refreshing thing to read something that old, where so, clearly I, it was obviously a, uh, intended on. Norma Klein's part that she wanted to show a, a positive, healthy, queer relationship. And there's also that really lovely scene at the back of the book where um, I think Allie is in school, her new school, and a whole conversation about gay rights kind of springs mm-hmm. up in class. And she makes a friend who's got a gay brother, and uh, yeah. it, the whole tone of the atmosphere of it all is very, very positive. And you know, the contrast between Peggy and Cynthia's relationship. And the the more toxic heteronormative relationship between her dad and her stepmom. Just, I mean, it was clearly intentional, and I, I think that uh, she, Norma Klein deserves major kudos for for writing a book about this way back in 1980. I think it was just just great to read, totally refreshing.
0: Yeah, I it, it was very refreshing. I love um, in those final scenes. We really get to see Peggy and um, Ellie's mom just have these lovely interactions with each other as well as with Allie. Um, as you're as you're saying that, I flipped to the back where I'd also put in the margins, LOL. Um, Peggy was talking with Ethan. So Ethan goes out to New York City to quote unquote interview for colleges. Um, we don't know if that's really what's going to happen in the end, but um, so he comes to dinner and Peggy and Allie's mom get to meet him. And there's a scene where Peggy goes, um, I totally screwed up my Radcliffe interview. I was so eager to the to impress the woman with my worldly knowledge that when she asked what my favorite book was, I said Lady Chatterley's lover. <laughs> I remember her eyes kind of widened and she said, Yes, he's such an imaginative stylist, isn't he? She laughed. And I love that. Yeah. I just in in three lines, she packs so much humor in here and also like such a great expression of connection with um you know her new stepdaughter as well as just her ability to like be an awesome parent and and be real um you know there's not this sort of shield between her and Allie the same way that i feel like there was with eileen and Allie in the um father's relationship yeah
1: exactly it was it was great and just the i think the characterization all around through the book was great. All of the all of the characters seemed really well drawn. Mart, the older brother Martin, who we haven't really spoken about, was I thought he was a a, a pretty well written character. He you know he picks on his sister, but at the right moments he's able to kind of be a sounding board for her. And Teddy, the ex, the kind of on again off again boyfriend, was sort of a Slightly comic relief. He cracked me up a little bit because he was just so naive. Teddy, this is another kind of, uh, I don't know if if we can call it a defying the gender norms of the time, but her boyfriend Teddy, Allie's boyfriend from when she had lived in California, had started a scrapbook where he would put pictures of houses and horses and things that he wanted to have in their lives when they moved on and got married. And I thought that was a really wonderful little touch that was completely unexpected, but... I appreciate it. A great deal.
0: Me too. You know, the one thing I did want to let, let's end this conversation on the ending sure. of this mm-hmm. book. Can we talk about yes. that. I was a little I if I had to put um uh into words the one thing that bothered me with this book, it would be the ending yes. and that there's no ending.
1: Yeah, it just kind of flattens out. Well, it yeah, she so she Ethan comes for his uh, his Columbia interview, and he stays with them in their little apartment, and then I—I I don't know. I guess it's not a spo—is it a spoiler? Can we spoil on this? I guess we're we can we
0: can spoil it. It's so fun. they
1: sleep together for the first time, and then he goes away, mm-hmm. and then Allie and her mom have some sort of an exchange where Allie's mom has called her Alley Cat. That's her her nickname. But Alley's mom calls her refers to her as Alley Cat and Alley says, "Do you know what? I don't think you should call me that anymore. It's babyish." And the mom says, "No, you're not a baby anymore, are you?" And then that's it. It just ends. That's it.
0: <laughs> it's like there's some like <laughs> There's no question that Allie and Ethan have had sex that night under her parents, you know, under her mom and Peggy's roof. Like, there's no question about it. But also, like, what is that ending? What does that mean? Yeah,
1: it was a bit. It was a bit strange. And I think one of the, you mentioned that with the last book you talked about. I can't remember what it's called, but it was the same thing. You said there was really no ending at all. It just stopped.
0: Yeah, they like drove off into the night, and it's like, oh, what happened?
1: I wonder if that was like <laughs> you know? a, a something that for the time like her style like a maybe? style of the 70s or who knows but um yeah i, I think no, i that's... wanted a little bit more resolution although you know things were pretty much tied up by that point so
0: yeah for sure for sure i wonder if it was also at the point where you're like i i don't know how we can make that any tighter of an ending.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
0: well thank you for joining me on this um quote-unquote short short form podcast it's a little bit longer than normal but we had a really good conversation yeah, about this. It was
1: so much fun. I love talking about books generally, but talking about and digging back into the old oh, the old classics, the old, you know the the thrift store yeah. bins, there's something really kind of fun about that. The stuff I would have been like there... hidden in a armchair during summer holidays just kind of piling through this stuff.
0: Yeah, I had a um, I had a listener write in last time and said you know i didn't think i'd read any of normal clients books and then as you were talking about that one i realized oh i had but it was one i had read too early to uh, <laughs> to like acknowledge like i had to hide it when i was reading awesome. it i was like um, i think that that's probably a fairly common experience and it's really nice to hear from people <laughs> and and you too like you know getting to talk about these things that like probably were talked about in the same way." um when they when they came out no
1: for sure and i mean it's definitely not alluded to on the cover so she was ahead of her time i (laughs) think we can say with this book certainly she was ahead of her time so yeah thanks thanks so much kelly it was a real pleasure to chat with you and i'm excited to hear what who you do next year for uh uh for your summer (laughs) summer reading editions
0: I can't I can't think that far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, can, I can say nothing. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for tuning in to Hey YA Extra Credit. We'll see you again next week for the main podcast. And then we'll see you again in two weeks for another special edition of Extra Credit. Uh, the book for the next episode will be No More Saturday Nights. And that will hit July 31st. Talk to you all again soon. Bye.